Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Are you a parent with a newly diagnosed child with autism? Are you looking for answers on how you can help your struggling child? The online training course, Discovering Behavioral Intervention, is the answer. Real parents take you through applied behavior analysis in 10 step-by-step modules. Learn more at youdiscovering.org and follow them on Twitter at youdiscovering. We are very proud to have Mayor Johnson as our sponsor. Mayor Johnson is the world's special education super source. The Mayor Johnson sale is on. They have incredible drastic savings on hundreds of products. So go to MayorJohnson.com. That's Mayor-Johnson.com. Follow them on Twitter at Mayor Johnson and visit them today. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Special Needs Talk Radio Network. We provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs and child-adolescent mental health communities. Thank you for joining us tonight. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick, and I want to welcome you to School Struggles. I am proud to be a part of the Coffee Clutch team. On School Struggles, we talk about a range of topics, including learning disabilities, dyslexia, special education, ADHD, and a whole host of other interesting topics that affect your child. I am a child psychologist and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is a part of the Department of Pediatrics. Cooper University Healthcare, located in Voorhees, New Jersey. I'm the author of two books, both published by Sentient Publications, the first one, The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child, and the more recently published book called School Struggles. You can learn more about these at my website, www.shutdownlearner.com. And it's the goal of this radio show, School Struggles, that we my guests and I talk in down-to-earth, you know, plain language for parents to help them understand their child better. And tonight, I don't think I could have a better person on to do that type of thing than Dr. Betty Osman. Dr. Osman is known throughout the country as an authority on children with learning disabilities and ADHD. She is a psychologist specializing in the treatment of children with behavioral issues, learning disabilities, and attention deficit disorders, as well as counseling families. Dr. Osmond also has social groups to foster the development of children's social skills. In addition to a private practice, she is on the staff of the White Plains Hospital Center Department of Behavioral Health. Dr. Osmond is the author of several books and is a contributor of many journal articles and chapters in books. Her books include... Learning Disabilities and ADHD, A Family Guide to Living and Learning Together. No One to Play With, Social Problems of LD and ADD Children and Learning Disabilities, and Learning Disabilities, A Family Affair. She is also the co-editor of Ritalin, Theory and Practice, which is in a second edition. Dr. Osmond lectures in the United States and abroad and has appeared on many national TV and radio programs. 
She and her husband live in Rye, New York, and are the parents of three grown children. And I just want to say on a personal note, she was always um, one of my heroes in the field, or heroines, or, I don't, you know, heroes in the field. And uh, I, I, was a, I was influenced by her book, No One to Play With, The Social Side of Learning Disabilities. And I lost track of her over the years. And then I read an article she wrote fairly recently for NCLD, and I, on a whim, I contacted her on a whim and, you know, reached out to her, and she ended up writing the forward to my book, School Struggles. So I am very honored to have Betty Osman, Dr. Betty Osman, on our show. So, Betty, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. And, Betty, we're going to talk, we're going to, this month is LD and Awareness Month, Dyslexia Awareness, I keep hearing, and ADHD. So we're going to, we're going to try to sprinkle in different different aspects of learning disabilities, ADHD, dyslexia, and I, and I know you specialize in, in so many aspects of learning disabilities, it's hard to even know where to start, but really tonight's focus is, you know, the, are, you know, are the social aspects, um, which is what your No One to Play With book was targeting, I think well before it became something that was more commonly understood, so I thought you were a, a pioneer. Thank you, Richard. I think that is that is true because it used to be thought that learning disabilities just affected children in the classroom. And then it seems so apparent that some of the, the biggest struggles that they have are really more in the social sphere and in terms of feeling good about themselves and relating to, to peers. So I, yeah, I think I, I, go ahead. I had I had learned about you through the Hilltop Prep School where I got my first job as a psychologist and right. there we were really schooled in the social side of learning disabilities, and that's where you came out as a keynote speaker, and that's where I met you the first time. So what are some of the variables, then, that do affect the social relationships with children who have learning disabilities, ADHD, dyslexia? Can you speak on these variables a bit? Yes, I, I think I think there are several areas. One is the that children with learning issues do tend to be less mature than their chronological age. Uh, and I think that's uh, Richard Gardner. I remember mentioned that years before that there was always a five-year gap between the development of uh, the child and the chronological age. And then the language issues. Frequently, children who struggle to learn do have problems with verbal language expressing themselves, so that it makes it harder for them to relate to their peers in a in an easy, graceful way. And the third area would be certainly behavior that there are uh, people who are uh, have learning issues and they don't read the social cues and sometimes act in ways that other children just don't understand or don't relate to. They may be disruptive or they may um, say, say things that are embarrassing to, um, to their age group so that they just don't always read the body language or the facial expressions and sometimes act in inappropriate ways. So, so in many ways, these children miss the cues in their environment. Is that another way of saying it? Exactly. Right. That's very, very true. They do. They just don't understand. Sometimes they don't even understand their own actions and feel that they are the innocent victims of other people's wrongdoings when, in effect, when the reality is that they are acting inappropriately and just do not take responsibility for their own actions because they don't perceive them accurately. 
So even though in the second half, I know we're going to, you know, in the second half part of the half hour here, we're going to talk about top parenting tips. It strikes me that something that you just said struck a chord in me that you have, as a parent, it seems from what you're saying, you have to be a little bit cautious about the reporting that the child brings home. So you don't necessarily automatically assume that when the, when the child comes home and says that they were, um, I don't know, victimized or yeah, right. wrong, that you have to really check it out as a parent. Well, that's true. But on the other hand, I think as a parent, the most important thing is to be uh, sympathetic and empathic, that uh, you can't always fix, you can't fix it or say, well, why didn't you do such and so? Why didn't you act this way? More important is, I'm sure that hurt your feelings, honey, and I'm really sorry about that. I think just to empathize with the child's feelings are is much more valuable than trying to give solutions, which are really impossible to do. Right. To, so to show, I to to really convey to the child that you're open, mm-hmm. understanding, listening, which is many people have a hard time with listening, but yeah, listening really is listening to the child. That's right, Richard. I'm glad you mentioned that. Richard is, I mean, the listening is even more important sometimes than, than speaking. Just, And I sometimes say parents should listen with a third ear. Not always right. what the child is saying, but what the meaning is behind what he, what the child is saying. Yeah, that's so a great way to... Be, be sensitive to the, be a sensitive listener, in other words. Right, that third ear, that's a great way to put it. Now, can you, can you tell us a little more about the... I think the language aspects that you're talking about, I'm going to read a quote from your book, and you say, it is well known that the LD, ADHD youngster tends to be less mature in things like their language, in in the quality of their thinking, and even in their physical development. Their social adjustment often reflects this general immaturity. I know you commented on that in the beginning part. Just elaborate a bit on that. Yes, I I think that is very true. In fact, I sometimes have correlated, and this is not well-researched at all, but just correlating even late teething. I think sometimes these children just don't teeth at the early time that that most most children do, and they develop language later. They learn to speak at, you know, two or later rather than at the the one year when a lot of youngsters are beginning to, to speak. So in some areas, their development may be later. And I usually say, you know, it's not the number of candles on their birthday cake, but rather the uh, emotional maturity and the social maturity of the child that makes a big difference. So that that's that point about, in a sense, the gift of time, which I, in, in school struggles, yes. call the age adjustment strategies. What I learned in Hilltop was, if you're just to, to make it concrete, if you're a 15-year-old, in many respects, forget that, you're talking to an 11-year-old. Is that how you would see that? Exactly. That's right. And you have to understand that um, because sometimes children will even tend to regress, you know, in especially within the family where they almost they really want to be babied and want to be taken care of. And yet um, on, when they are out in the world, they can adjust much better and be more appropriate. I, th- I, I think that your gift of... I year old who wants her mother to feed her at this point. You know, and she right. can certainly eat. And if they go out to a restaurant, she will feed herself. But otherwise, she 
wants her mother to to really baby her and would like to be a mother, a baby, I mean. I would imagine that you use that strategy with parents quite a bit, as as do I, where I think Mm -hmm. that you help take them away from this should mentality where you say to them, where the parents look, you're 10, you should be able to put your books away. You should be able to uh, organize yourself at school. And I think that this age adjustment or gift of time concept helps give parents perspective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's that's a very, very good point. It's true, and sometimes these are the children who prefer to play with younger children because that is their level of maturation. And parents sometimes say you should play with people your own age. But maybe they're not equipped to do that. And I think with practice, sometimes they will get to be more mature in their social relationships. As long as we can get them off their iPads, right? Yeah. Well, believe it or not, these days I was at a restaurant the other day and I saw an 18-month-old with an iPad. He was flipping pages. Oh, Oh man, I don't know about you, but I, I go out to the waiting room and I, I these little kids they don't even know that I exist as a human being. They don't even look up anymore. It's like That's right. The, you know. That's true. <laughs> now, you mentioned moving a little bit to the ADHD side of it. Although yes. this is all about, you know, this is really a package deal as far as I'm concerned with the LD issues and the ADHD and, the, and even dyslexia. You mentioned uh, a boy named Jack who wasn't you said he wasn't exactly hyperactive but his mm-hmm. restlessness was annoying to everyone. Yes. So beyond medication, I mean, I know we, we all you know, know how medication can play a role, but how do you see helping a child like Jack, who is annoying to everyone? I love to use some behavioral strategies. In other words, um, sometimes I will say uh, when you uh, are doing homework anyway, set a kitchen timer you know, for 10 minutes and then take a break. But you, you can't get up until... The plane lands, you know, fasten your seatbelt and you can't get right. out. And then another strategy, I think, is for um, youngsters, whether they're ADHD and learning issues too, have learning issues, I really recommend that they wear a watch. I think, number one, they can give them something to play with um, in class. It's better than tapping a pencil where the teacher will object. So they can play with a watch band. They can also look and see how much longer do I have to sit in this class or in this assembly, um, so that it gives them a little bit of additional focus so they can see the time passing. And I think that really has helped a lot of youngsters. And then you, sometimes, go ahead. No, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no. And then um, I think that, that sometimes getting them involved in activities in which they develop a sense of self-worth helps also, helps as well. And then sometimes when the these are the children who ask a lot of questions or interrupt the teacher in class. I just say you're, you're only allowed to ask three questions during a period and then write anything else down that you want to discuss later. So that they I think that's a great strategy. Mm-hmm. That's a great that's strategy. So it sort of limits, puts a little bit of a lid on them, right? Is that kind that's of what right. it does? That's right. And, they can, and then they're self-monitoring their own behavior because they can only speak up three times, you know, is, Do you you believe, I believe, do you find it an effective strategy to have the teacher off to the side, not in front of other children, give give the child some feedback, you know, in a a somewhat direct way? Do you find that to be, like, such as, you know, Jack, 
you know, the, these kind of behaviors are, are starting to get a little bit on, you know, when you call, keep calling out, it's getting on people's nerves a little bit. Do you, do you do that? Do you think you're giving the child somewhat direct feedback from the teacher's vantage point, not in front of other children, can well, be helpful? Or yeah, how, you how can. I think I think sometimes though it is beyond the child's control that they don't mm-hmm. even realize when they're when they're doing that or they get up to sharpen their pencil 10 times you know and I think one of the other strategies is for the teacher and I agree with you I don't like a teacher to call out in class John please you know earth to mars or pay attention I would much rather see the teacher just casually walk to that child's desk and just put the hand his his or her hand on the child's shoulder or the desk. It's something that is not intrusive but will sort of be a reminder for the child to uh, to focus or pay attention and not jump up. It's funny you mentioned though, that, you know, I think those face-saving is so important with these kids, but you also mentioned that Earth to Mars, yeah. and we forget that the language processing. I had a mom recently tell me that the teacher used the phrase, oh, you know, honey, you're a hot mess. You know, she was probably joking with the with the yeah. child, but the child came home and was very upset that in front of the other kids, um, sure. you know, that she she used that kind of language. So many of our the kids that we're talking about misinterpret language. Back to your original point, I, I had one say a while That's back right. where you know, daddy's tied up in traffic. Someone told her that daddy was tied yes. up in tra- and she had a meltdown because she, that's right. why is he being tied up, right? You know. Yes, that's true. They misconstrue the, the deeper meaning of words very often and just take the superficial literal word. Um, yes, that's absolutely true. And, you know, learning style makes a big difference too because there are uh, children who absolutely do not get the auditory, cannot you know, do the auditory processing so that if a teacher says, John, come here, or John, come here, they're saying two very different things, and these children absolutely miss that. So I think it's important for teachers and for parents as well to be able to understand how their child learns. Is it more visually, where you can show them a demonstration and they will understand it better than just listening, or is it the reverse, or do they need to be shown something, you know, in in the way they learn? It's funny with some of your other strategies. You remind me, my my uh, deceased mentor, Dr. Stanley Rosner, who you might have known at Temple mm-hmm. University. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to he had a very down to earth way with these kids, and he'd say to me, "Richard, we just need to Velcro their rear, put Velcro on their behind, right. you know, <laughs> Velcro them to the seat, you know that 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 was like the, the the behavioral strategy he would teach me about. That's right, and you <laughs> Velcro know the them other. To the seat. Yeah, that's true. And the other thing with, I think, with ADHD kids particularly, um, I think parents and teachers have to be careful about not saying no, don't, stop, you know, forever. Because uh, I used to tell the story of three-year-old Nancy who was in the park with her grandmother, and the grand they met a friend of the grandmother's who said, what's your name, little girl? And she said, Nancy. The grandmother's friend said, Nancy, what? She said, Nancy, don't. You know, we get we tend to get so negative right. with these right. children that we have right. to be careful. In fact, I sometimes say to parents, try to avoid the word no, because that's the word that kids react to so strongly. You can say, I can't do it now, dear, we'll do it tomorrow, right. or maybe later, but it's just that yeah. one word no sends kids' hair, head bristling, you know, yeah. the hair's bristling yeah. on their heads. 
Great advice. Um, and that's, you know, Dyslexia Awareness Month. What are some of the side touched on some of them. What are some of the other aspects if a child has a pretty significant reading disability that it may be impacting upon their social interactions, whether it's in the classroom or at home? Yes. Well, I think the major problem there is the self-esteem of the child, which tends to be really low. Uh, they, They feel they're stupid, even though they may be perfectly bright, and they just have this one issue in reading. Uh, and I, I do think that that's important to be able to uh, not correlate uh, intelligence with the with the learning disability because that's the learning difference I prefer to call it actually. Um, you know, so I, I do think that the uh, they have to be able to I would hope be put in an activity in which they can get a sense of self worth. I'm thinking of a, a boy that I, one boy I wrote about Eric who. He was in third grade, and he was the expert on bugs in his class. One day I was chatting with the teacher, and we heard on the playground, Eric, come here quick. And both of us rushed out thinking what was going on. The kids were calling Eric to identify the biggest roach I ever saw um, because he was the class expert on bugs. And that gave him a certain sense of social status where his reading was, was not going to do that. I had a kid a while back who was I had a kid a while back who was an expert on presidents' wives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't one. winning him friends though. That somehow Dolly <laughs> Madison's gown at the inaugural ball was not winning him friends. I don't know. But I think it's a great point that you know let him be the expert. You know, like your yeah. bug Eric the bug kid who really knows all about that, and let him show his stuff, even though his reading may not be coming exactly. through. Exactly. And that really helps. I think the class athlete, the artist in residence, certainly in a class, will develop a certain kind of social status, which is wonderful. To I love that, the artist in residence. Yes, that's, I've yeah, seen great. several kids who are really good in first, second, and third grade even in, in art. And they do get a sense of satisfaction and status in the classroom. Trying to keep us within the time frame in the half hour, you know, which is, which is I knew this was going to be difficult. Um, what what would you say are some of the top do's and don'ts for parents? So if you were to go down some of your top strategies, let's say top five do's and don'ts. You know, okay, you, I think, what would I think that be? one is um, that children do need standards and expectations. All children need clarification in what they what parents expect and what they can do. Um, and I think parents can provide very good social models for their children by their own behavior, number one. And then they can talk about what's appropriate behavior and most of all praise for effort rather than results. I think sometimes if a child is making progress in a certain area, that deserves a great deal of congratulations and pat on the back. Um, I think they can uh, role-play at home and um, demonstrate to the child that way what is a socially acceptable um, behavior. And um, I think try to pick your issues, too. Um, you can't insist on you know, proper, appropriate table manners and clean rooms and going, getting up in a cheerful mood and a million and one other things all at once. So I think pick the priorities 
And um, I always yeah. say, too, if parents can keep a sense of humor, if they can be a little blind, a little deaf, and keep a good sense of humor, they'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my number one. Keep a little <laughs> sense so. of humor. Keep laughing. Now, Betty, I'm excited because I see on our board here, if we can get it in, I, I see a caller may have a question for you. So hold on a second. Let's see okay. if we can get this person in. Okay, certainly. Um, yes. Hello. Is there someone who has a question for Dr. Osmond? Hi, good evening. This is Jennifer. Yes, I do. How are you? Fine, thank you. Hi, Jennifer. Um, I'm really excited about this topic this evening. Um, we've been struggling with my son. He's um, bio, um, his, he's nine. Developmentally, he's at a five- or six-year-old level. He not only has a learning disability, he's ADHD, but he also has sensory integration and yes. frontal lobe impairment due to assist. Um, and he, when he plays, it's more para, parallel playing. He yes. doesn't um, interact with the kid, children, but he does. He, he functions well. He's highly articulate, um, and he's he's pretty high functioning. However, so I'm just wondering how can I, you know, when you look at uh-huh. him, he size wise, he's ten, eleven almost. You know, age he's nine, but he's at a five or six, and he doesn't have those. Um, you know, executive functioning skills that most right. other kids in his group do. He does not have the um, interest in playing the organized sports. I'm trying to get him into Cub Scouts. Good luck on that. You know, I'm trying to get him into involved with neurotypical kids. Um, there are a couple of special need um, supportive, you know, I've actually found a religious education program specifically for him. Um, there's nothing of hope that we sometimes, you know, are involved with. But my biggest challenge is how can I get him integrated or um, how can okay. I advocate for him to other parents and try to develop, you know, like those play dates and so forth. Betty, right. Betty before you answer Jennifer's question, one second, I'm going to tell Jennifer and others. At the half-hour mark of this show, the show will cut off live. So, Jennifer, you may not be hearing it fully, although you hear it on the, you know, over the phone. But anyone mm-hmm. listening later can hear the whole show in its entirety on the web on the, at the Coffee Clutch. So, so even though it's cutting off at the half hour, you can hear. If we go past, you will be able to hear the whole show. So, Betty, how about Jennifer's question? Yes, uh, I think uh, one thing you might do is just. Try to find one friend, whether in the neighborhood, one pal, or whether or in a school class where the teacher could recommend one person and have that person come over for one hour and have an activity, whether it's uh, collecting colored leaves outside or whether it's taking them for ice cream and home. Uh, just a very structured activity, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something that will maintain, he can maintain the attention, not just go off and play, but something right. that you can arrange uh, a good a good activity going to the uh, you know high school football game for one one you know ten minutes or something like that keep it short structured and and pleasant and then they the I, child will, they want to come back you know that kind of thing. I, I want to add yeah, what, he, Dr. He what Betty's saying you know it's a great great comment in the sense of trying to find that one person because he might not be able to find it him on his own so having right. the teacher recommend the teacher who that one person would be. And, you know, another right. thing that I love, I don't know what kind of a class he's in, but I have worked with teachers sometimes to have lunch with that, with your son and one f- possible friend in the class, somebody that they can either be paired to work together possibly or, uh, or can, a peer tutor can be mm-hmm. helping that your child. 
and and they could have lunch together with the teacher. I remember one teacher used to put a red and white checkered tablecloth on the, the desk with a red rose, and that would have a lunch date with two of the kids in the class, one who really needed the social interaction and the other who could provide that. Yeah, he's he's right now in a, a mixed class of um, autistic and intellectual um, disabled. So oh oh, I see. You know, he he's already challenged with, and while he's higher functioning socially than those other kids, they aren't. That's right. Um, and the past three years, he's been in an EBD program right. where the socialization has been discouraged. And unfortunately, we're in a more rural area, and oh. trying to find somebody in that age bracket um, has been challenging. And I've brought that to his teacher's attention. But so far, she's focusing on his executive functioning and, and cooperation in the classroom. Right. So, um, does yeah, he give you any? Does he give you any insight into another child that he? I'll, I'll tend to ask children who they sit with at lunch and who they gravitate to. Does he give you any insight who he, he probably likes? Doesn't. Probably he um everybody says that he he doesn't have that ability to connect. Everybody's yeah. his best friend. Um, right. Even when I've seen that they've I you know marked him and ostracized and mocked him, yeah. he thinks they're still being his you know his buddy. Right. He gravitates to females, um, which is also possible due to sure. um, rad as well. Uh-huh. But um, you know I'm trying to get that that male influence other than his father and grandfather. Right. So, you know, and somebody of his peer group, not an adult. Right. So. Is there one um, possible physical activity? Does does he ride a bike? No. No. Does he uh, does he swim? He does. He does. Because that, you know, something individual, sport like that, mm-hmm. swimming might be really good. Uh sometimes horseback riding. Do you know about the Pegasus program? Is there something um, a horse riding a riding program for handicapped children. There there are quite a few of them. I know. I, where do you live? I'm in uh, Tampa, and I do know that they have a pretty um, well established equine program. But again, they focus. The, the the problem is we're in this void because he's not on the spectrum, um, and he's he's not he's too high functioning, but he's not neurotypical. Um, Right. The level of services that he would qualify for don't. Oh. Um, he, he just misses out on. Or yeah, he gets bucketed into the autistic group, and it's like those kids, you know, they we have a great program in Tampa called Betty Baseball, where they pair special right. children with, with neurotypicals. Every kid on the team is, is autistic, and there's only one girl that is social. So, <laughs> You know, there um, used to be uh, uh, the university in, in Tampa. Uh, mm-hmm had a very good LD program or re- and uh, research. I think it was uh, Jean Peterson who used to be there. I know she's mm-hmm. not now. But I wonder who, who is there and who and, – and the other thing I would, would think about is the swimming. That if is there a, the Y or something like that where he could do recreational swimming once a week or twice a week? Um, right now he's doing vision therapy twice a week. So okay. without overloading his schedule with social commitments, we're focusing on getting the vision therapy. Um, and we've we've progressed in a, in a private pool at, at my parents' house. But um, well, it's always been the scheduling of the um, the available YMCA programs, what they have um, for the special needs. Yeah, so, if there's a Y program or something, that would mm-hmm. be great, you know, for swimming. I mean, where he could be a little bit in a group, but it, but in a very structured Right. Yeah, Jen, and the I'm other, gonna, the I'm other gonna thing, have to let yeah. you go. Um but I'm I'm gonna give no. um 
Dr. Osmond's contact information at the end, you know, her okay, email address and her office phone, and you could, you know, you, you might be able to do some distance uh, consultation. That'd be further. great, but thank you. Thanks for, thanks for checking in. Appreciate no problem. It. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Yes. Um, Betty, uh, as we close down, how about top two or three strategies for schools? Uh, well, for for schools, I think the teacher, I like when they um, pair children to work on a project together. That is one way to really foster and promote social interactions. Uh, somehow, when the focus is on a work project, kids can function can better, and that is one way to reduce prejudice, too, by the way, um, and it does work. The other thing the teacher, I think the teachers can do is, as I said, once in a while, maybe, you know, have lunch with the kids, pair them together, and then there was one situation where a child always got in trouble in school, and when the and the uh, gym teacher came in and said to the kids, uh, who, how many of you would like to help Robert, or whatever his name was, and... Mm -hmm. All the kids said yes, except the three who always got in trouble with him. And he yeah. praised them for that, and the kids came up with suggestions of making sure that Robert had somebody with whom to eat lunch, that he would not sit alone at the table, which he had been doing, because he was rejected. And then they would have a bodyguard with him, uh, two bodyguards right. at recess, yeah. so that he, if he started fighting or got into trouble, they would rescue him and escort him off the field. So things, things that can be planned. And then what I love is a social group at school, four or six sessions. Just have four or five kids together in a group talking about some of these social skills and how they can interact together with the best results. You, you remind are, me of my – yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. You know, you remind me of my dad, who was principal of PS22 on Staten Island, and he used to have – some kids come in and have lunch in his office. And I'd be like, Dad, you're the right. principal. Why are they having lunch? He'd be like, well, they're going to get picked on if they don't come and have lunch with me. I'm like, oh, right. I that's love exactly that. what you're saying. Yeah. I think that is absolutely the best. And, you know, I think the teachers really, I, I think, have to not only focus on why didn't you do your homework, but mm. rather, you know, get to know them as people and as and be supportive and have a relationship with them. I, I've seen so many teachers who have been so effective that way by really getting to know this, this student and what the problems are rather than strictly the the subject matter. Well, you know, I knew that you would be bringing a lot of down-home wisdom to this stuff, and, and I think that we're often lacking, uh, you know, good understanding of children. You just bring so much of it to these kids, and, and I'm sure the families that you deal with and the children benefit greatly from your wisdom and your approach and the kindness and sensitivity that you bring to it is, is tremendous. I, as I, I love what I do. <laughs> yeah, it comes through. It really comes through. Now, your your um, office number, you want me to give that out? Or do you, nine, is the 914 number? Sure. Well, we can do the, the hospital number, 914-681-2209. Good nine one four six eight one two two zero nine. Yep. Yeah. Or my email there is b osman at wphospital dot org. And that's osman O S M A N gang, right? Correct. O S M A N. Okay. That's right. And then my other email is psych b o p s y c h b o at gmail dot com. 
Well, I want to really, really thank you, and I'm, as I said at the beginning, I was, I'm honored and have been honored to have you on the show and get to get to know you better, and, and it's, it's been great. So I want to um, invite people who are listening to visit my website, uh, www.shutdownlearner.com, to learn more about school struggles and shutdown learners, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Sells, at D-R-S-E-L-Z, at Dr. Sells or Facebook on the fan page under Shutdown Learner. And be sure to visit uh, the host of this radio show, which is www.thecoffeeclotch. That's the coffee, like the drink, and clatch, K-L-A-T-C-H.com. They have so many wonderful hosts talking about a variety of child children topics, child topics. And remember to support our sponsor, Mayor Johnson, that's M-A-Y-E-R Johnson, your special education super source at www.mayorjohnson.com and our other sponsor, www.udiscovering.org. That's lowercase letter U and discovering.org. Thank you, Betty, and everyone listening, thank you, and good night. Richard, I'm on too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Be well. Bye-bye.